0: You are listening to the Teaching Ministry of Valor Christian Centers, Pastors Scott and Tina Witwam.
1: Well, this is Resurrection Sunday. And so I want to start off in Mark chapter 8:31 as the basis scripture for today's message. In Mark 8:31, it says, "And Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things." and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have the historical account of this period of time preceding and leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We'll be sure to give you all the glory and honor today, in Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. As we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday, let me ask you a question to get started. If you knew you only had one week more, or maybe five days, or maybe two days of time or maybe your time was at hand. What would you do or what would your actions be? And I thought it'd be good if we followed just a little bit of the last days of Jesus. Him knowing that his time was at hand. And how did he spend that time? In Mark eight thirty four through 36 it says, When Jesus had called the people to himself, Along with His disciples also He said to them, Whoever desires to come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? See, each of us must decide what is important to us. I can't make that decision for you. Do we decide whether eternity with God or do we decide eternity without God? That is something that you have to decide on your own. And everyone makes their own choice. In John 13:21 through 22, somebody who had been with Jesus for years was trusted would turn their back on Him after seeing the miracles. You know, we sing that song, the miracles I've seen after seeing all the miracles that Jesus performed. And here it says, when Jesus had said these things, He was troubled in His spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another. They were perplexed. They wanted to know, well, who are you speaking about? How could this... Could this be me? Well, when we look at this, Jesus knew this must happen. He knew this time was coming. And so because he knew this time was coming, he decided to focus and prepare his disciples for his departure. In John 13, he says, little, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, Where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say this to you. See, Jesus knew what he was about to encounter, and he knew that he had to impart, even though betrayal was at hand, he had a more important course, his final act. In John 13, 36-37, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. How many of us are like Peter? We say that we'll lay down our life for the sake of Christ, but will we really? So many take so little action to spend time with God, to pray, to talk to, to meditate to share, to speak, or dedicate themselves to. So many take so little time to give or take action, to labor for the cause. See, that which we believe in, we give time to, we give emotion to, and we give to financially. How do I know that? Because I've seen your lives. I know many of you believe in living in cool houses. So you give your money to SRP, right? You believe in the betterment of your children. And so you spend time at youth events. You spend time at at choir recitals. You spend spend time trying to give them every opportunity. You spend time volunteering in the kids department. You spend time making sure your, your kids have a godly upbringing. You spend time making sure that what they're being taught meets with your values. You spend time. Why? Because it's important to you. How important is this gospel? I mean, do we show up on Christmas and Easter? Or maybe you're really dedicated and you spend an hour and a half every Sunday thinking about God. But see, the things that are important to us we'll spend time, emotion, and money on. But Jesus said that if we really believed in His cause, He would prepare prepare a place for us in eternity. In John 14, 1-2, He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So do we really? Do we really believe in Him? Jesus did and made sure that we would have what we need to overcome this life. That was His mission. He wanted to make sure we had everything we needed so that we could reconnect with the kingdom for which we were created. In John 14. 15-17. Jesus said. If you love me. Keep my commands. And I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper. Even the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. For he dwells in you. And will be with you. See Jesus knew what had to be done. He knew that if we were going to be successful in reunification with the kingdom, we would need an advocate. We would need a helper. We would need a teacher. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. This was a dose of reality for His disciples. Because the man that they had spent three years of their life walking with, being fed by, being sheltered by, being instructed by. He was now getting ready to depart, and he was making the case of why it's going to be okay, but this was a dose of reality. And in Matthew 26, 1 through 2, Jesus laid it out clear. He says, now it'll come to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up and be crucified. See, the end was about to be finished, and the beginning was about to begin. It was the end of sin's domination over mankind, and the beginning of God's redemption. So after dinner and communion, Judas, he leaves to go and to meet with the uh, chief priests, and the, the, the Pharisees, and the scribes, and he made his deal to betray Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver. Fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. In Zechariah 11:13, And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And after his death, those 30 pieces of silver were used to acquire a potter's field. After dinner and communion, Jesus takes his disciples Up to the Mount of Olives. They've just celebrated the Passover. They've just sung hymns and they've had communion together. And for those of you who have been in church, you know that we often share about the communion that Jesus shared the bread and the wine, marking the beginning of a new covenant. And so they sang hymns. They were, this was a, this was a, an exciting time. We just had the Passover experience last Saturday, and you know we experienced the the, the interaction. We we uh, experienced the story. We see why many of the things that that even we do as the um, the, the Christian Church today were fulfillment of what was done by the synagogue, the the, the Jews even before Christ came, the shadow of the good things to come. This was an exciting time. And after they sung their hymns, Jesus said, hey, let's, let's go to the, to the Mount of Olives. And when they approached the Mount of Olives, He took them to an area called Gethsemane. This area, of Gethsemane, it, it must have been a nice place because it's known as a garden, a place that has... Rich foliage and, and a place probably of comfort for many. I, I, obviously, an easy place to probably have gone and spent time and, and prayed. But for us, Gethsemane has a different meaning. For Gethsemane is a place of decision. And when he arrives there, when, when Jesus arrives there with his disciples... You know, and historically, we don't know how many there were. You say, well, there's 12. Well, there's 12 that, that he called apostles. But remember, he sent 120 out. So when, when they get there, and, and, you know, there's a big gathering. And Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, he says, I want you to come with me. Everybody else, stay here. Stay here. Wait. Because one thing that I've learned from Jesus is that when you go into a battle, into a time of decision, the people that you want with you are the people that are the strongest in faith. You know, Jesus didn't say, hey, everybody stay here, Thomas, come with me. No, he took Peter, James, and John. Who did he take onto the mountain when he was transfigured? It's Peter, James, and John. You remember James and John? Humble upbringings, right? They're called the sons of thunder. Remember, on their way here to, on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover, they enter into a city and the city doesn't receive them. So Jesus says, well, let's just shake the dust of our feet off and go. And James and John said, how about if we call fire down on them, Jesus? I mean, these guys knew how to party, right? He said, man, Elijah did it. Why can't we do it? Jesus said, you guys don't even know what spirit you're of. He says, they've rejected me because this is not my destiny. We're destined for Jerusalem. We're, we're destined for, for my my hour is at hand, my time is at hand. And so these are who 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 Jesus takes with him. The sons of thunder and Peter, the guy that his that that for all of the incredible miracles that, that he was involved in, and, and, and the book that he wrote, first uh, and second Peter, I mean the epistles that he wrote, first and second Peter stuck his foot in his mouth quite regularly. But he wasn't afraid to speak. You know, one of the things that God said about David is that for all of his shortcomings, he was a man after my own heart. And I think when, when Jesus looked at Peter, Jesus said, he's a man after my own heart. He's got my back. He may not always understand it. You know, when Jesus said that, hey, he must be crucified, and Peter said, oh, it's not so. You know, Jesus said, well, wait a minute, Peter. Actually, he said, get behind me, Satan. You know, he said, "Man." you got to check yourself at the door here. But he always said Peter was a man after his own heart because he always brought him into his inner circle. And those Jesus knew at this hour, this time of decision, this time of the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he was going to have to have the best that he had. He was going to have to have the best of the best because he was about ready to face a temptation that he had never faced before. Remember, Jesus came, was sinless, but he was tested and tempted in every way that you and I were. And yet without sin. Remember, he spent 40 days in the desert with the devil. Now you may think you've spent a night or two with the devil, but I guarantee you it was nothing like what Jesus faced. And so to the garden of Gethsemane, they go. And in Matthew 26, 38, Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And he told Peter, James, and John, Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and pray with me. We have now reached the place of decision. Not only a decision for me, but a decision for you. And it's a decision for us. Where are we going to run when we face our challenges in life? Who do you call on? When your challenges in life happen, do you call Dr. Sam or do you call Dr. Jesus? Do you call your brother and your sister and tell them about all the bad things that are happening? Or do you, do you call your Heavenly Father? Who are you going to call on? This is your place of decision. And we have the opportunity to be faced with this decision on a regular basis in life. Amen? I mean, is anybody living in the Garden of Eden today? Any of you out there? Invite me over if you are. I'd love to spend a couple hours there. Amen? No, we're all living in the, in, in the day of, of bill collectors, of, of prodigal children, of... Um, mentally affected uh, relatives, of bosses who are unhinged, of, uh, uh, of an um, entertainment society bent on everything that is anti-God. I mean, we are living in a time where we have many challenges in life. You can choose to complain about them or you can, can choose to spend your time praying about them and asking God how you can make a difference. Your place of decision. So the Gethsemane is where Jesus did make a decision. He had no choice. And in Matthew 26, 42, a second time, he went away and prayed and said, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. See, that should be our heart's cry. That should be our heart's cry in prayer. I mean, I know there's there's times when I go to prayer And I know exactly what I want to hear my father say. But sometimes, because I'm a little thick, he has to take and slap me upside the head. And I have to realize, not my will. Not my will. Sometimes our minds need to be rocked a little bit by the word. Amen? That's why I say often, if you don't have chapter and verse for it, just leave it alone. But sometimes we get passionate about our own things and we forget about God's things. Amen? Amen? This is a preaching time out right here. I almost tripped myself twice. But we have to make a decision. Jesus had to make a decision. Jesus had legions of angels at his beck and call. He could have said, Father, this is too tough. we got to find another way. And he would have been loosed. But see, For this purpose I have come, he said. This is the reason that I have come. We've been waiting 4,000 years for this restoration. This is the reason that I have come. This is our opportunity to restore mankind back to fellowship with us. And in verse 45 and 46, He came to His disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping? This obviously wasn't as important to you guys as it was me. Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And this began the trial of a lifetime. Jesus was arrested. And I thought I would read here in Matthew 26 and 27, kind of an abridged version of the account of what happened. Starting in verse 57, it says, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led Him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put Him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none, but at least two false witnesses came forward. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Then they spat in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one that struck you? One morning came all the chief priests and elders and the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered, Nothing. It was a custom of the time that at, the, at, the, at this governor's celebration that, that Pilate would release a prisoner. And having Jesus, he supposed that the, that the people would, would want Him. He'd been for three years going throughout the country healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, restoring strength to the lame, healing lepers. So Pilate took his... The worst prisoner that he could find, Barabbas, who was a murderer, who tried to start a rebellion and, and thought, well, this would be a great option. I'll give them either the option of Barabbas or Jesus. And as he's getting ready to do this, then at, at night, Pilate's wife has a vision, has a dream where God sternly warns for Pilate to have nothing to do with Jesus. And she tells him, But Pilate goes to the crowd and says, hey, it is a custom. We're going to release the prisoner. Um, I give to you Jesus or Barabbas. And the chief priests and the scribes, they stirred the crowd. And they begin to say, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Let him go. What has he done? Let him go. And Pilate says, well, what about Jesus, your king? And they said, crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said, what has he done? I I find no fault in this man. And they said, crucify him the more loud and release to us Barabbas. Pilate said, I wash my hands of this very thing. His his blood be upon you, the Jews. His blood be upon the Jews. The wages of sin is death. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We can go back through history and see how many times God's people have almost been annihilated, wiped away from the earth. Thank God there are those with courage to stand with the nation of Israel. Do you know, even the Christians rose up in rebellion against the Jews. I mean, historically, I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what what was going on at the time. But but from a look-back perspective, Jesus was a Jew. And yet Christians were killing Jews because they said, well, you murdered Jesus. But we stand with Israel now. But the blood, remember the story of Cain and Abel? The Bible says Abel's blood still cries out. Abel brought an acceptable offering to God. And he was found righteous. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. He was found righteous, but his blood still cries out. And Cain's punishment was banishment, because the scales of justice always balance. They may not seem to, but God is a good balancer of the scales of justice. Sometimes we need to allow Him. You know, we, get our, we try to get in and, and, and even the scales, but. God is much better at it than we are. Amen? So Pilate was unable to prevail with the people, and in Matthew 27, 26, it says, Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus. I always wonder why Matthew skipped so quickly over over this. And my, my thought is, historically, it's because the scourging by the Romans was a very common event. So much so that that in that time, if you were to say or to write that the Romans scourged somebody, you would know what it meant. You would know that they took this whip with corded leather, bone and steel embedded on the end of it, and lashed, literally tore the skin off those in whom he scourged. And I think sometimes, if, at least from our standpoint, from, from an English standpoint, an, an English reading standpoint, some detail would be much better to understand what really transpired. But I know in their day, they would have understood it. But, but we've got time this morning. Go with me. I didn't give them the scripture, but go with me back to Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 3. It says, he is despised and rejected by men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5, and he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. If we were to read this in, in the Hebrew in context, we'd understand that it, it literally says that by his stripe, they had whipped and torn his flesh so much that it was one big wound. He didn't just bruise him, they literally pulverized the muscle. So much so, here's a, man who was a, here's a man who was a carpenter in a day of no power tools. Here's a man that they, put out, that they pushed off to, to, to the pinnacle of a hill. And when he decided that he'd had enough, pressed his way through the crowd without a problem. But he was so wounded for our transgressions. He was so bruised for our iniquities. Every bit of confusion was upon Him that a huge body-width stripe was laid upon His back that it took His strength from being able to carry His own cross. And so they had to compel another to bring His cross. A cross that He in the natural before His punishment was strong enough to carry a cross that he could have carried himself, but no longer could he carry this cross by his physical strength. Because literally your sin, literally your sickness, literally your disease, everything that sin had placed upon you, he was now carrying on himself. And the weight of it, the weight of it was overwhelming. And so they carried His cross to Golgotha. And they scourged Jesus. And then He delivered Him to be crucified. And crucifixion was a horrible torture that the Romans had come up up with. And many of you have seen the Passion of Christ. And I don't need to go too uh, gory on this. But but the cross was not smooth. This was hand-hewn wood. Have you ever run your hand across a piece of unfinished wood and gotten a sliver, they would nail the prisoner through the wrist at the hand joint. Hands and just above the ankles to this cross. And they would then take this cross and flop it up into a hole. The body would be flat against it and when it would hit the bottom of the hole, the body would be driven down upon the jagged sharp wood the pain was to be so excruciating that that they couldn't even lift themselves up with no strength and that they would suffocate themselves it was really it was really a torture of suffocation painful suffocation but he was delivered to be crucified the soldiers and the governors took Jesus into the prematorium they gathered the whole garrison around him they stripped him they put a scarlet robe on him They twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, put a reed in his right hand. They spat on him, they mocked him, prior to crucifying him with his brutal death. According to Matthew 27, 37, And they put up over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. The chief priests and scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but himself he cannot even save. And in verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Eli, Eli, lama shambachne, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus cried out with another loud voice and yielded his spirit. See, it was for this cause, for you and for me, that Jesus willingly became the sacrificial lamb. What 4,000 years of sacrifice could not do. Jesus' a sinful life, given as a sacrifice to literally cleanse us, to sanitize us of sin. The exchange of innocent blood for ours, tarnished by sin. And that's the thing about sin. It doesn't matter how old you are, it is the nature of the human condition, because of the failure of Adam and Eve, that sin reigns, and because sin reigns, death reigns, but that through this one Jesus Christ, through his innocent blood and his innocent sacrifice, that mankind would have the option, the possibility of eternal life. They laid his body in a tomb, but that's all they laid there. Ephesians 4.10 says that he first descended See, when he gave up the ghost, he had a a mission. He descended to the depths of hell. And as somebody prophetically said to me this morning, that he didn't just go to hell, but he went through hell. And many people talk about, hey, life right now, it's like I'm going through hell. But I can tell you, you have no idea what Jesus went through. And in Psalm 68, 18, it says, Jesus then laid hold and took hell or took captivity captive and made a show of it openly. Time fails me this morning to be able to share with you the the imagery that that, that this is is trying to be depicted here. But, But literally, Jesus took sin, put sin on display with a sword right through the middle of it. He broke the chains of sin and death. He broke the yokes of bondage that mankind would no longer be subject and have no opportunity for relationship with their Heavenly Father. And in Colossians 2, 14 and 15 says then, He canceled, He wiped away the legal demand of sin set against us, having nailed it to the cross, making a spectacle of sin and its author. That's exciting. When he rose on the third day, he gave mankind the right to eternal life. Yes, Jesus triumphed over death. And the result was eternal or infinite, endless life for anyone who will receive. Anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says it this way. That if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in the heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made. Jesus said it this way when when talking to Nicodemus. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. So this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we acknowledge what it is that He paid and what He did for us. I ask you a question. Whether you're here today or whether you're watching uh, by video live stream on social media, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity today. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father." There's no classes to take, no hoops to jump through. It's between you and God. As simple as a prayer of allowing Him to come into your heart. So congregation, would you agree with me in prayer this morning? And if you're here and have never received Christ as your Savior, or you've drifted away and you want to come back, would you pray this prayer with me today? Just say, Father, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe that He died on the cross for me. That he went to hell for me, but he rose again. That I could have eternal life. And I receive him now as Lord and Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says that you are entitled to eternal life. If you're watching by live stream, you can go to our website, valorcc.com, and just drop us a note. We want to continue to pray for you.
0: You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, if I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona 85296.